to think together as to why we've done what we've done over the past 13 years. So we're going to talk a little bit about why it is on Sunday mornings, Grace Church has organized its life and what we do when we worship the way in which we have. They're, they're not just matters of preference. And they're not just matters dealing with uh, the sort of missiological context in which we find ourselves. No, there, there are actual biblical convictions behind why we do what it is that we do. But I realized that this week we need to actually defend the necessity of gathering together physically with God's people. We need this not just because the Bible clearly commands us to do so. And by the way, it does. The writer of Hebrews says to a church that's being persecuted, to a church in which it is dangerous to be, uh, to be identified publicly as a Christian, the writer of Hebrews still says to them, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It's a command. Yet, we do this not just because it's a command, but we do it because the ascended Christ is giving gifts to his people each and every week that we can't receive otherwise. Now, the big idea is on page five in your bulletin. You see it there, and it's this. Regularly gathering with God's people is not an optional expression of religious consumerism. Regularly gathering with God's people is not an optional expression of religious consumerism. Now, I want to make it clear what we're not doing. Uh, I grew up in, in, and I think this was, this was true, of uh, churches that tended to be more conservative theologically. Uh, there, there was, unfortunately, the tendency to take what were commands and what were meant to be expressions of obedience and turn them into sort of legalistic do's and don'ts. So this is not telling you somehow you're a better Christian if you come on a regular basis. This is not an attempt to sort of legalistically guilt you into being here whenever the doors are open. That's not what this is about. But I want to suggest to you that what happens week by week as we gather together on Sunday morning with God's people cannot be gotten anywhere else. And that what God is doing in and through our time together is, is actually really for your good. He's giving us gifts that we can get nowhere else. We can't get them through podcasts. We can't get them through virtual streaming, as, as thankful as we are for those things. No, there's something about being gathered together week by week by week with God's people that is for our good, that cannot be gotten anywhere else. So let us I've, I've made a bold claim. Let's see if we can back it up a little bit. First, this is not a monologue or a performance, but it's a dialogue. So understand, every week when we gather together, what's happening is that God is actually dialoguing with us. And in Psalm 106, it's a really interesting psalm. It's a psalm that's written after the exile. Turn there if you want. We're not going to spend a ton of time in it. But this afternoon, I would encourage you to read Psalm 106, because here's how Psalm 106 goes. Psalm 106 is a recapitulation of Israel's history. And in it, the psalmist is making two points. God's people are really good at sinning. 
Here's the second point. God is really great at saving. God's people are really good at sinning. I said we weren't going to turn there and I lied. Turn to Psalm 106. Look how he starts. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord because he's good and his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? By the way, if you think we're here week by week just to praise God, right? I'm here to get my praise on. The writer of Psalm 106 tells you you're going to be here all day. Every day. In fact, we know from the book of Revelation, are we ever going to run out of things to praise the Lord about in eternity? No. So stop this. Oh, I'm going to go to church, get my praise on. Okay, great. Whatever. But you're going to be here longer than the hour that you think you're going to be here. Verse 3, blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. Now, starting in verse 6, here we go. We're really good at sinning. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Here's the second point of the psalmist's sermon. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. Friends, week by week, here's what's happening when we gather together we are being reminded we are called to recount we are called to remembrance that we are really really good at sinning and that god is extraordinarily great as a savior that's the dialogue that's happening in other words each and every week, we are dialoguing the gospel to one another. Each and every week, God calls to us. He reminds us that we are really, really good at sinning. He also reminds us in the context of that, that he is mighty to save so in other words, we are reminded each and every week that we are a people who live in covenant. Did you notice that? Did you, did you see how it is that the psalmist starts it off? He says, praise the Lord. It's in all caps, right? That's, that's Yahweh. That's the covenant name for God. In fact, twice in verse 1. And then we get that phrase, steadfast love. In other words, it's his covenant faithfulness. So every week when we gather together, what's happening is we're undergoing a covenant ceremony. We're being reminded. And each week, God calls to us, I am your God. And we then have the opportunity to respond. And our response is twofold. God, we're really good at sinning. And you are mighty to save. 
we are really good at sinning and you are mighty to save. So what's happening week by week is not a monologue. It's not a performance. It's a dialogue. So ask yourself a question then. Uh, in this dialogue, who would be foolish enough to want to speak for God? Who would be dumb enough to want to stand up and say, oh yeah, hey, by the way, you're really good at sinning. No, because typically what we want to hear is, no, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. Not, you're really good at sinning. So who would be foolish enough to do this? Who would be foolish enough to stand up and say, thus says the Lord? Now, by the way, as we think about the answer to that, it also changes then the conversation we have about who's going to be up front. Because being up front is not merely a matter of performance. It's not a matter of aesthetic preference. Some of you have noticed, because you've, you've said something to me kindly, you've wondered why it is that Les and I now do the scripture readings and not have more pleasant voices. Because at the end of the day, let's admit, we'd all rather hear Jenny read than Les. Like, we just would. It's, it, that's not an insult. That's just true. Right? I, I would rather hear a female voice read scripture than a male voice. So why did we make the switch? Well, again, this is a dialogue. God is speaking to you. What's the most direct form of speech that we have from God? His word. Now, who's dumb enough to want to speak for God? By the way, it also changes the conversation about what's actually going on in worship. See, you're not just here as a partaker. Yes, we're going to see the Lord is giving you good gifts. He's giving you gifts that you can only get somewhere else. But understand that each and every week you're being called upon to respond. You can't just sit there and go, we're really good at sinning, God. But you know, my week's been okay. I'm not as bad as that Helen Park person. Let me tell you about Helen. No. In the very act of gathering together with God's people, as we enter into this covenant remembrance, we all have a role to play. Christ is speaking to us, and we are all responding. Men, women, children, doesn't matter. So we can set aside then this idea of, no, no, we got to have everybody in the congregation represented up front. Really? Because God's speaking to you, and who's foolish enough to want to speak for God? Who would take that upon themselves? No, you have a role to play in worship, and your role is that Christ is speaking to you. And you're called upon to respond. Now I know that's not the same thing as being a partaker and a consumer of religious goods and services. But friends, the very nature of what we're doing week by week is a dialogue. 
And I hope and I pray that week by week, God is saying something to you that you did not see coming. Some weeks, it's a little prick to your conscience. It's a reminder lovingly that you're not all that in a bag of chips. And that's okay. Some weeks, the reminder is, you're my child. I love you. I sent my son to die for you. There is nothing on heaven or earth or under the earth that can keep you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. In our new members class, we uh, use the following sort of illustration. We'll say that sometimes when you come to church, it's a concert hall. And there's a really good worship band. There's a really good praise band. And you show up, you get your praise on, you kind of get, you get a little, if it's, you know, if it's a good black church, you really get your groove on. But for us, we just kind of, because that's about as far as we go, right? It's a concert. Others, it's a lecture. The preaching of the word or the, the setting forth of certain doctrinal propositions is what's central. But we will argue that at Grace Church, what we want is for this to be a banquet. That there are various and assorted parts of our worship service and all of them are designed to proclaim this great covenant truth. We are great sinners, but our God is a great Savior. That Psalm 106, verse 8, is the theme every time we gather together. He saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. Each and every week, God is reminding us of his mighty power. He doesn't do it in ways that the world would expect, but that's what's happening nonetheless. We are coming and we are partaking of this banquet that declares to us the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, then, receive and listen to the ascended Christ's good gifts. Receive and listen to the ascended Christ's good gifts. So in Ephesians chapter 4, we see Paul pivoting. And typically in, in all the Pauline epistles, what happens is this. Paul lays out the gospel for us. And then at a certain point, he turns from not just the gospel that saves us to then he talks beginning in chapter four about how then our lives ought to look different because we have been saved by the gospel. So it used to be when I was in seminary, we would say, Typically, the first part is about doctrine, and the second part is about ethics. Here's how you have life in Christ, and here's what your life is to look like if you have Christ. So in Ephesians chapter 4, he's making that pivot, and he's arguing, as we've seen, that he wants you to walk in the manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That's verse 1. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means we understand, beginning in verse 10, that as Christ, who's the one who was descended into to the dead, Christ has now ascended into heaven. But 
having uh, ascended into heaven, he has done something unique. The ascended one sends down good gifts. Look at verse 11. And he, he being Christ, the one who has ascended above all things, that he might fill all things, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, Christ, who uh, having been risen from the grave, is now, who have, having been resurrected, is now ascended into heaven. And the ascended Christ sends to us, he sends, he's gone up, he sends down these gifts. Did you note the gifts? The gifts that he gives, verse 11, are people. And they are people who hold to what we would call particular offices. Now, we would argue in our denomination, we don't have apostles anymore. We have people who may speak prophetically, but we don't have the prophetic office anymore. But we do have evangelists and shepherds and teachers. In fact, if you think about the Apostle Paul's instructions to Timothy and Titus as he uh, talks to them about what an elder is supposed to be. What is at the top of the list? Apt to teach. Who is foolish enough to speak for God? Well, only someone whom God has called. And the person that God has called then is actually a gift from the ascended Christ to you, his people. So, since we then have received this good gift from the ascended Christ, what are we supposed to do? Well, he tells us, doesn't he, in verse 12, it's to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Look at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Friends, every time we gather together, Christ is actually serving us. He's serving us through the gifts that he has given us. And so it's not our worship, it's not our devotion, it's not our praise. It's not our service that matters most. No, the ascended Christ is giving us through word, prayer, sacrament, and one another what it is that we really need. And what do we need? Paul says we need to grow in the gospel so that we become more and more like Jesus. That's what we need. We need to grow in the gospel so that we become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. I spent uh, 10 years serving in a denomination that if you said, what's the primary purpose of a Sunday morning, they would point you uh, to the blessed memory of the late Billy Graham. 
And they would say, well, what Sunday morning is really about is that people who are lost are going to pray the sinner's prayer and they're going to become Christians. Well, that's not what Paul is arguing for here, is it? Paul says that no, when we gather together week after week, and God has given us these gifts, and through these gifts, he's, Christ is serving us, and he's serving us so that we would grow in the gospel and that we would become more and more like him. Now, that creates a problem. And here's the problem. The problem is, if you think about this in terms of uh, offices, if you think about this in terms of officers within the church, there are more of you than there are of us. Brings us to the third point then. You're a member, not a consumer. You are a member, not a consumer. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love. Who's speaking the truth in love? Actually, all of us. Right? As we grow into the maturity of Christ, as we become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ, then the task is that we're going to speak the truth in love. Now, there are congregations, I'm sure you know them, you've probably been a part of them, I know I have, who are really, really good at speaking the truth. In fact, they will beat you across the head and neck with the truth. And there are churches that are really good at being loving. Maybe not so great with the truth, but they're really good with loving. And Paul says, no, uh, we're to speak the truth in love. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the, the what? The whole body. The whole body. Friends, you're not here week by week as an individual. No, you are. But you're here because you are a member of the body. Christ. You're not a consumer. You're not here because the floor shows good. It's even better when Greg and Bryce are here. And it's not a question of who's in and who's out. It's a question of who knows it and who don't. You are a member of the body of Christ. And the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So you're here then this morning to be a faithful presence of the gospel in the lives of your fellow believers. It'd be great, wouldn't it, if uh, your elders knew just what to say in every context, in every circumstance, and it would be great if the elders had the relational capital to be able to say things to you that probably other people can't. But here's the reality. We don't. But you do. I know for a fact that Dan can say things uh, over here to Doug that I could never say in a million years. I know he can. I know there are conversations for lots of reasons that you can have with people in this congregation that Les and I could never, ever dream to have with you. 
And it's such a gift. See, if you're walking in the door, simply asking the question, what's in it for me? That's the question a consumer asks. And you're not a consumer. You're a member. And you're here to be a faithful presence of the gospel in the lives of your fellow believers. You're here because the resurrected and ascended Christ is giving you gifts that you can get nowhere else. And what do you do with it? You don't hoard it. You share it. You share it. And in doing so, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I was reminded of this uh, several, when I was traveling a lot for uh, with T4 Global, now spoken worldwide. I, I would get on airplanes and I, I hated, um, <laughs> and please understand this in the right way. I, I, I love the country I live in. But there are times in which when I'm traveling internationally, I hated being an American. Because some of the stereotypes about Americans are absolutely true. And when I would get on an airplane and there would be like college age American girls, I, I, I just I just kind of wanted to do this. And and I don't know, like start speaking German or something and pretend I wasn't an American because they would just they would behave so incredible most uh, more than once. They would just behave so incredibly badly. And I was just, I was just embarrassed. And, or I would overhear conversations that, uh, that were happening in English from people who uh, I knew from their t-shirts where they were from. And I would just be astonishingly uh, just embarrassed. And I remember one particular trip, it was, it was an ordeal of travel. And I remember uh, getting off the plane with all these Americans who were in Kenya and I remember clearing customs, and there, at the end of customs, was my brother, Simon. And it didn't matter that his father had had two wives, and my dad had only had one. And it didn't matter that his skin was a different color than mine. It doesn't matter that we grew up in different places. It doesn't matter that he's trilingual and I'm an American means I can only speak one language. None of that mattered. What mattered is that we were part of the same body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. And when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Friends, we have that opportunity every Sunday when we come together. We can build up the body in love. And one of the things that COVID taught us is you cannot do that virtually. You can send notes. You can send texts. You can tweet them or whatever else. But there's something about, as my friend John Sartell used to put it, there's something about simply laying eyes on the other person. And seeing the things, seeing them, knowing them, and not merely what's said. But it's interesting, you can, you can look at people that you know and you're a member of, and you, you can read them in a way that transcends, oh, this is what they said in the text. 
Well, one of Christ's wonderful gifts to us, his people, is the gift of the Lord's Supper. You can't do this at home. Let me rephrase it. You shouldn't do this at home. You shouldn't do this as a part of a small group. It is a means of grace. And as such, again, this is God speaking to us. And so who's foolish enough to want to speak for God? In our denomination, we would say that as a means of grace, it must be overseen by ordained men. And this morning, we get to make good use of this wonderful gift. God calls us as his people to come. And by faith, to partake of the Christ who is present spiritually in the elements. We are really, really good at sinning. And he is a surpassingly great Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you now for the good gifts that you give to us. Uh, we pray that as we think about what it means to gather each and every week, we would understand uh, not out of a sense of legalism, but Father, we would understand that it is when we are gathered here with your people that we receive from you gifts that we can get nowhere else. And that having received these gifts, we are then a gift and a blessing. We become a giver to others. And so Father, we pray that as we think each and every week, as we make decisions related to our time and related to our calendar, related to what's going on in our lives, Father, we would understand uh, this is the place where we need to be with your people to receive the good and gracious gifts that the ascended Christ has for us. And now, Father, as we come to this gracious and glorious gift of the table, we pray that Christ and all of his benefits by faith would be enjoyed as it is communicated to us, as we taste and see that you are good. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.